We begin a new series of sermons this morning entitled Contend for the Faith. The title comes right out of the book of Jude. We'll be looking at the, the little book of Jude. Uh, <clears throat> probably don't hear a lot of uh, preachers preaching on it uh, because it's such a small and, and there's some controversy in the book. But we're going to deal with them and we're going to go through it for the next several weeks. Uh, you're, you're following along as we look at the book of Jude. And what Jude is, is basically talking about is there's a battle going on in the world in which we live. is what we are to believe and what we are not to believe. There's a lot of false teaching going on in, in churches and in denominations. And Jude is writing this letter to the church because people had secretly slipped into the church. As a matter of fact, Jude says, he said, I wanted to write about our salvation experience, about that which we have in common, but I felt the urge, the need to write about something else. And so, so Jude begins talking about that, these individuals that secretly slipped in the church. Several weeks ago, I watched a movie called Enemies at the Gate. It's a movie based upon the Battle of Stalingrad during World War II. And the, Russian, uh, the, the Germans had made a large advance into Stalingrad, and the Russians decided, we've got to stop them here or there'll be nothing that will keep them from, take, from going to Moscow. Nothing that will keep them from taking over Russia. So that kind of became ground zero in the battle. And the name of the movie was Enemies at the Gate. And it was that everything that the Russians could do to stop the enemies at the gate of their city so they could hold them back. And we know eventually that, you know, Stalingrad, they stalled and then the Germans went back uh, to Germany. So with this in mind, let's look at Jude chapter 1 verses, uh, not chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 under the heading, Enemies at the Gate. Listen to what Jude says. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. He says, he mentions this I, this person, James. He goes, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Who is this James? Well, we know that James was the, the half-brother of Jesus. He became the, the leader of the Jerusalem church. Because he's the half-brother of Jesus, that means that Jude is also the half-brother of Jesus. Because Jude is James's brother. But Jude does not use his relationship of Jesus Christ uh, to gain an audience. But the people would know who he was. So he uses this as, as an introduction to what he's, what he's going to talk about in this passage. Jude is writing to believers. He's not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to people that are in the church. He's writing to those individuals who, are, who have been called by God. He's writing about those individuals who are kept by Jesus Christ. And he says, I wanted to write a word of encouragement. He said, I wanted to write about the salvation that we share, but I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for 
the faith. Why? He tells us in verse 4, For certain men have secretly slipped in among you. These people have slipped in. You're unaware of it. They've slipped in. These, these individuals have, have come in and, and they begin to, to teach distorted teachings and they begin to do things that are contrary to the Word of God. So Jude says you need to contend for the faith. Jude's not talking about persecution in the church. He's talking about infiltration in the church. People that have infiltrated it and they're just as dangerous as those who strive to persecute the church. And Jude says the danger is revealed. The enemies attack, attack in three different ways. The first, the enemy attacks the Word of God. Look at verse 3. He said, I felt... I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. The word used there for faith, you might want to underline it, you might want to circle it, you might want to highlight it. He said that word used for faith is not talking about your personal faith in Jesus Christ. It's not talking about uh, what you believe about the gospel. It's not talking about your salvation experience. What it's talking about is the truth. It's talking about the truthfulness of the message. So he's not talking about, about faith. He's talking about the body of truth. He's talking about the doctrine that we hold true. He's talking about that body of truth that we possess. Notice something about this body of truth. It did not originate with us. It's not based upon our analysis. It's not based upon our, our opinion. Get this. It's not even based upon our interpretation of what it says. It was something that was given to us. It was, it was given to us from someone else. It was something that was passed down to these individuals. It's something that was preserved through the teaching of others. And, and Jude says, you ought to preserve it as well. He says, don't deviate from this teaching. Don't deviate from this doctrine. Don't deviate from this belief. Why? Because it's been protected. It's been preserved. It's been passed down to you. Now at the time of Jude, they were at a disadvantage. You know, they, they didn't have a, a written Bible that they could go to. Most of what they had was oral tradition. Most of what they had were, were things that had been passed down. Paul, uh, uh, Luke talks about it in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says the apostles, uh, the people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What were the apostles teaching? The truth. They were teaching that doctrine of truth that they had been passed down and been entrusted to them. So they were teaching them, and the, the people were growing in that. Titus was left in, in Crete to straighten out some, some struggles in Crete. And as you begin to read the book of Titus, you realize the problem was with doctrine. Listen to what it says in Titus 1.9. Encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. The problems that were developing in the land in the island of Crete was because the church didn't have sound doctrine. Uh, they, were, they weren't holding on to the truth that had been entrusted to them. And so they were deviating from that classic truth. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 2, The things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. You notice in verse 3 that this faith that was once for all, it was entrusted to the saints. 
It was entrusted to the saints. It was entrusted to the believers. Guard it. Preserve it. Protect it. We're entrusting you with this. And we expect you to maintain it. We expect you to honor it. We are to contend for the faith. We are to contend for the body of truth. We are to contend for the truth. Notice once also it says this faith that was once for all. That phrase once for all means it's accomplished. It means it can't be added to and it can't be subtracted from. It is final. It is complete. It is once for all. Once for all time. To end all time. We're so much more blessed now than they were in the, in the time of, of Jude during the time of the first century. We have more Bibles than, than, than anybody. Now, matter of fact, in a, we was at a conference yesterday. They said the average Christian has four Bibles in their house. We have Bibles. We have multiple translations. We have multiple interpretations. We have, uh, we have it available on the Internet. We have it available on audio. We have it available on downloads on our, our, our smartphones. We have it for our tablets. Uh, we have access to the Bible than they've ever had. We have access to commentaries. We have access to great preaching. Uh, we have access to, to great scholars. We have so much more than they did in that first century. But yet many today still challenge, or, or they, they still challenge the truth of God's Word. They still challenge the doctrine. That they, they, they still say, we can't believe this Word. We can't believe that body of truth. You see, we think that we're smarter today than they were in the first century. We think we're smarter today than they were the, the Old Testament scholars and the New Testament people. We think we're smarter. We're more intelligent. So what happens? Churches battle over the truth of God's Word. Denominations split over the truth of God's Word. It's a battle that, that rages on and on. Let me ask you a question. Who wins when churches split? Who wins when denominations split? Satan. Satan's the enemy. He's the one that wins when, when we as churches, when we as denominations fight over, over the, the faith that was entrusted to us. There's an attack on truth. There's an attack on the Word of God. And let me tell you something, my friends. When you stand up for the Word of God in some churches and in some denominations, you are condemned. You are condemned. People will say, oh, come on, Bruce. You don't really believe in Adam and Eve, do you? You don't really believe that, that, that God brought everything into existence by, by two people. You don't really believe that, do you? Uh, Bruce, you don't really believe the miracles in the Bible, do you? I mean, come on. Uh, yeah, well, do, you really, do you really believe that stuff? Hey, Bruce, you don't really believe that God flooded the earth, do you? Do you really believe that? I mean, Bruce, come on, you, you've been to college. You've been to seminary. You're a smart guy. Well, maybe not that, but you know, yeah, 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 you've read smart people. You don't really believe that. Do you really believe that, that God parted the Red Sea? I mean, how many times has that happened? Well, it's happened at least once that I know of because it says so in the Bible. That's what people do. You don't really believe this stuff, do you? Listen, my friends, listen to this. You start picking the Bible apart and the Bible starts falling apart. 
If you pick out the things you don't like or the things you're not comfortable with, the things you don't understand, then the Bible slowly begins to fall apart. One day, listen, one day, everyone in this room, everyone in the world, whether they believe it or not, they're going to know that the Word of God was true. They're going to know it. They're going to know that every, every word, every, every word written down, everything spoken, everything recorded in the Word of God was true, is true. You can trust it. You can believe the Word of God. You can trust the Word of God, and you can live by the Word of God. Matter of fact, you have to live by the Word of God. The Bible says it doesn't do any good to hear it and to listen to it if you don't live by it. The fact is, if you're not living by the Word of God, have you really heard it? Have you really listened to it? It's only when you begin to apply it and you begin to live by it that it truly impacts your life. You might notice in your Bible that Jude occurs, right, is written, right, or placed right before the book of Revelation. I don't believe it's an accident. I believe there's a reason there because we are told in the end times... We're told it, 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 when, the, when the, the time is coming and it's drawing to an end that there's going to be an attack upon the Word of God. There's going to be people that, that will attack it in the church. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. weeks. We'll call them wolves in sheep's clothings. They will attack it within the church. They will attack it up in, in, in Christianity in general. There'll be individuals outside the church that will try to discredit the Word of God. The time will come when people will no longer put up with sound doctrine. Matter of fact, it may already be here. It may already be here that people are not willing to put up with sound doctrine. Instead, they say, oh, preacher, just preach a sermon that makes me feel good. Preacher, I want to feel good. This is not one of those sermons, by the way. We shouldn't be surprised because there's coming a time when people are no longer put up with sound doctrine. Instead, they will surround themselves with people that will satisfy their itching ears. Their itching ears. We want to sin. Can you set us free with this book to sin? You see, the enemy attacks the Word of God. The next thing, the enemy attacks the grace of God. Look at verse 4. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality. What they're saying is, hey, it doesn't matter how you live. We're under grace. We're no longer under the law. Therefore, you can live any way you want to live. You have license. You have permission to sin. Listen, the grace of God is not a license to sin. The grace of God does not give you permission to sin. Paul wrote about this in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, when he says, Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Shall we, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And Paul adds in that verse, he goes, By no means. Certainly not. May it never be. May we never do that. In reality, the grace of God changes your mind towards sin. How do you know if you have personally experienced the grace of God? How do you know, that's another way of saying, how do you know you have been genuinely saved? Isn't that a question we all want to know? 
How do we know? Yeah, well, I know because the Bible tells me so. Well, let's go a little deeper than that. Uh, what does it say? How do we know that we personally experience the grace of God? The grace of, that's what it is. When everybody who is saved receives the grace of God. What is the grace of God? The grace of God is un unmerited favor. We do not deserve it. Well, we do not earn it, uh, but it's given to us. It's given to us freely when we confess our sins and we turn to Christ as our Savior and our Lord, we repent and turn to Christ, God bestows His grace upon us. He gives us that grace. So how can you tell if a person has been genuinely saved? How can you tell if a person has really experienced the grace of God? Grace changes your attitude about sin. It's, it's just like the prodigal son. You know the story of the prodigal son. Uh, it's probably one of the most well-known stories in the Bible. But just in case you don't, let me refresh your memory, all right? The story is told, Jesus tells the story of a father who had two sons, an older son and a younger son. And the younger son came to the father and said, Dad, give me my inheritance. I just want it now, God. Uh, father, I want it now. And so the father, because he loved his son, he gave the inheritance to his younger son. It wasn't long after that that the money was burning a hole in the, in the son's toga, and he decided, I no longer want to live in my father's house. I no longer want to live under my father's authority. So he left town. He left the country. And he went and lived in a foreign land, and I always say he spent his money on wine, women, and song. And before long, all of his friends were gone, all of his money was gone. He had no place to live and nobody to take care of him. He became hungry. He eventually took a job, a young Jewish boy taking a job working with Gentiles, feeding the pigs. He began looking at that food. You know, even what the pigs are eating is better than what I'm eating. And then the Bible says that he came to his senses. He came to his senses. He goes, you know, the hired hands at my father's house are eating better than I'm eating right now. I know what I'll do. I'll go back to my father. And I'll plead with my father, Father, just take me back as one of your hired hands, and I'll be happy. The Bible says that he made his way that. The father saw him from a distance, and the father ran to him, threw his arms around him, kissed him, kissed him, put a robe on his back, put sandals on his feet, put a ring on his finger, and that wasn't enough. Then he threw a party for him coming back. And he said, this son who was lost has now been found. That's grace, folks. That's grace. Now, think about the prodigal son for a moment. Just think with me, okay? The prodigal son's there. His dad's hugging him. His dad's kissing him, slobbering all over him because of the tears coming down his eyes. He's got this robe. He's got sandals. He's getting the fatted calf. Do you think the time that the father, the father is sat there holding his son and, and he's restoring him, the son is saying, man, I can't wait to get back to that pigsty. I can't wait till I can leave the love and the grace of my father and go back to the pigsty. No. Why? Because grace will you stay where you are. You're grateful. Why? Because your whole attitude has changed. Your whole mindset has changed. I don't want to go back to my previous lifestyle. I don't want to go back to that. You have a different attitude because you've experienced the grace of God. If you have genuinely been saved, if you've genuinely experienced the grace of God, you no longer want to go back to the pigsty. That's what God's Word wants to teach us. But see, 
the enemy comes in and they attack the grace of God. They say, oh, you can do whatever you want. Why? Because we're not under the law anymore. You can do whatever you want to do. You can live any way you want to do live. Because you can always come back and experience the grace of God once again. That's what the world wants us to believe. That's what the false teachers are teaching. You know what you get when you get that kind of teaching in the church? You know what you get when you get that kind of teaching in, in a denomination? You know what you get when you get that kind of teaching in a university or a seminary? You get peep kids, you get Christians that don't look any different than non-Christians. They look the exact same way. That's why we, in, in the church we have just as much divorce in the church as they do outside the church. That's why there's as much sexual immorality in the church as there is outside the church. That's why there's as much perversion in the church as there is outside the church. Because too much of the world is in the church. And the false teachers come in and say, well, you know, I'm under grace. You know, Christians aren't perfect. They're just forgiven. Well, that's true. They are forgiven. It's true. They're not perfect. But they are different. They're different. Christians who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, they desire to worship God. They desire to serve God. They desire to obey God. Listen to me. If you don't desire to worship God, if you do not desire to obey God, you do not desire to serve God, you are not saved. Now, that's not popular today. But that's what Jude is saying. I'm sure that Jude probably didn't get too many likes on his Facebook page. He probably didn't get too many downloads of his sermon on, 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 the, on the smartphone. He probably didn't get too many likes on, on the website for the sermon. He probably didn't make a lot of money from the CDs that were purchased. By the way, we don't sell CDs, uh, so I just wanted you to know that. Why? Because it wasn't a popular message, and it's not a popular message today. But it's the truth. Truth doesn't matter if you like it or not. It is still truth. We have to stand for the truth. No one is perfect. I know that I'm not perfect. <laughs> Trust me. I know that every day when I get up out of bed, I'm not perfect. I recognize how far I fall and how, how, how sinful I really am. But I know the difference between somebody who's saved and somebody who's not saved. I know the difference. I know the difference of a person who's, who God has really touched their life. When God has, has really touched your life, it's evidenced by the way you live your life. When you don't obey God, it cuts you like a knife. And you realize, oh man, it hurts. You feel it. You hurt. You struggle. And you ask God to forgive you. Say, oh God, I messed up. Forgive me, God. Forgive me for failing. But you see, the enemies come in. And they attack the Word of God. And they attack the grace of God. Finally, the enemy attacks the lordship of Christ. Look at verse 4. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign 
and Lord. Deny means they say no to Jesus. They say no to Jesus as Lord. It shouldn't be a surprise. I mean, they've already attacked the grace of God. They've already attacked the Word of God by their sinful life and, and by the exploitation of grace. They are denying Jesus' Lordship. They've become a law unto themselves. We can do whatever we think is right. Jude has already said these men are godless men. So what does it mean to be godless? You want me to give you the, the easy term? It means they want less of God. Godless, less of God. They want less of God and more of them. It's the complete opposite of what John the Baptist always say. Lord, I must increase so that you might decrease. No, that's not what John the Baptist said. He goes, Lord, I must decrease so that you might increase. Godless people want more of them and less of God. He says, that's who these individuals are. They're godless. And that goes to the heart of false theology and the heart of the devil's lies. They refuse to bow their knee to Jesus. They refuse it. They want to be their own God. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus tells a parable of a, of a rich man who, who goes off to a foreign land and he leaves his, his land in trust of some stewards to take care of it. And, and while the, this rich man is off on a, far, on, a, on a far land, the slaves, the ser servants decide, we don't want this man to rule over. So they send a delegation to this man and, and they basically tell him, we don't want this man to reign over us. But folks, that's the heart of sin. That's exactly what sin is. We don't want God to rule over us. That's what it's all about. We want to be our own God. And we don't want to submit to the authority of someone else. The ungodly person has no reverence. They have no fear. They have no submission to the Lord Jesus, Lord, Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that individual misses the point. They miss the fact that Jesus Christ, He is our Savior and He is our Lord. But not only is our Savior Lord, the Bible says that He is our judge. John chapter 5, verses 22 to 23 says, Jesus said this, The Father judges no one, but has entrusted, there's that word entrusted, entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Matthew tells a story, and it seems appropriate that we mention this story at, the, uh, at this time of year since we just celebrated Easter. Matthew tells a story of a man who asked the most important question in the world. Jesus is brought before Pilate, and Pilate's there looking for ways he might set Jesus free. And so he says, what do you want me to do with this Barabbas? What do you want me to do with Jesus? What do you want me to do with Jesus? And they said, give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. And then he asked the most important question that any person will ever ask. What shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? What shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? The most important question ever asked was asked by an unbeliever. Let me ask you a question. 
What are you going to do with Jesus, who's called Christ? What are you going to do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? Hear me on this. You deny Him as Lord, you deny Him as Savior. It's a package deal. The Bible does not say, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Savior. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you'll be saved. You see what we've done today? Jesus is our Savior, but He's not our Lord. I'm telling you, if He's not your, he's not your Lord, He's not your Savior. That's not popular today. Because, see, we want a Savior, but we want to continue to live the way we want to live. In other words, we want to be Lord of our lives, not Him. And I'm afraid we've communicated that too often in our churches. That's why here at Western Heights, we have on roll 400 and something people. Where are they? We'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. Statistics reveal that 50% of the people on a church roll are lost without Jesus Christ. Because they have no desire to serve Him. They have no desire to worship Him. They have no desire to obey Him. So let me ask you again, what are you going to do with Jesus? For some of you this morning, God's word to you is come to Jesus. I'm not asking if you're, if you're a member of a church. I don't care. I want to know... Do you love Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus? Some of you for the very first time said, you know what, I've been raised in church all my life, but I've never come to a point where I've acknowledged Jesus as Lord of my life. Some of you need to do that this morning. We can tell you how to do that. For others of you, you need to be part of a fellowship of believers. There's some good churches in Waco, but I'm beginning to question that after some things I've heard. I, I'm, I'm not going to judge them. I'm not the judge. I should have said that. There are some good churches in Waco. But you need to be in a church where the Word of God is preached and proclaimed and lived by. Everything about it. Listen, if you don't like a particular passage of the Bible, it's not the problem with the Bible, it's your problem. The Bible's not wrong, you're wrong. Some of you need to be a part of a church that will preach the Word of God and stand upon the truth of God's Word. For others of you, what you need to do is you need to be a part of Bible study. You know, the only Bible study you get is a Sunday morning, and it's not really Bible study. You need to be a part of a Bible study. We offer a lot of different Bible studies here at Western Heights. We've got Sunday school that comes right at 10 o'clock. I don't know if any, most of y'all knew that. We have Sunday school at 10 o'clock. We do Bible study every Sunday night at 5.30 to 6.30 in the fellowship hall. Uh, it's good Bible study. I don't know if it's great Bible study, but it's good Bible study. We have a good time as we just go through verse by verse through a, a gospel or through a book. Others of you say, you know, I need to be involved in a small group. We have small groups that meet during the week. Find one. Get into it. Study God's Word. For others of you, you need to start studying the Word at your house. The, Bible, the statistics reveal that if you will read your Bible, study your Bible four times a week, that you will, that you will have 50% less likely to indulge in sin that week. That's done by read the Bible through some, some organization. Just four times. As I said yesterday in our, in our conference, if you're already reading the Bible, you know, five times, well, don't change to four times, okay? 
You know, that's not what I'm saying. Oh, you mean I've only got to do it four times? No, no, no. If you're doing it five times, you keep doing it five times. I'm saying if you're doing it two, three, go to four. If you're going four, go to five. Read that Bible every day. Study it. Meditate upon it. Live in the Word. Some of you need to be part of a Bible study. We're going to have a time of invitation for you to respond to what you've heard today. I don't know how God would have you respond. I gave you three ways. You need Jesus, you need a church, you need to commit to Bible study. Would you stand with me as I lead us in prayer? Kip's going to come and lead us. We might have Josh stand up here with me. Maybe Marcy will come up too. And we'll be here for you. If you see somebody pray with you, you need somebody to encourage you, you need somebody to counsel with you, you need to make a decision. We'll be here for you.